What's going on everybody? This is Coach Ace here. Uh, well, what I wanted to do is kind of try to start something new to our program and do something a little different. Basically, we wanted to take some comments, questions, concerns, things that we've seen players and parents struggling with over you know, the course of the week and then every week try to come up with you know, a topic that can help not only the players and parents who've asked the questions, but just help those who uh, might have the same type of thoughts in their head. So the first topic we're going to discuss is how performance, and in specifically in, in this instance based on questions from players, how performance and velocity, they're not linear, basically meaning we're going to have good days and we're going to have bad days. There's going to be days that we continuously grow on terms of the, the miles per hour on a radar gun. There's going to be days where our numbers fall. There's going to be days where we have energy. There's days where we're tired. So we can't expect for, to get from point A to point B on a straight line. We're going to have peaks and we're going to have some valleys along the way. So what we're going to take a look at is why, why that might be the case and what are some things that can enhance and and or hurt uh, performance. So with that, I have Kip Steingart with me today. Kip is a certified personal trainer and a certified speed and agility coach. Uh, we've known each other a very long time, about, I think, 17 years now. Uh, he was the best man at my wedding. So we've known each other. I trust him with a lot of these topics we're going to talk about today. Um, I just think he's going to give us a different insight besides just the baseball player exit velocity throwing velocity type of thought process so kip can you say something about yourself these guys might not know good morning jason uh so like i said my name is kip steingart i am a uh, personal trainer speed and agility coach as well as a youth strength and conditioning specialist um i've been in the field of of strength and conditioning now for going on 12 years uh, primarily been working with baseball players over the last seven, eight years now. Um, and I was a former college baseball player for a two-year period. Uh, I had numerous injuries up until the point I was uh, 21 years old until I had finally had surgery on my, my right hip to repair a labral tear as well as numerous lower back injuries. So I think um, uh, a big part of what separates myself from other coaches is just my, my very extensive injury history and my, my ability to kind of bridge the gap between performance enhancement as well as as health and keeping athletes as, as healthy as possible and sustaining a long-term uh, playing career playing career as that is my number one pri priority is not only performance enhancement but again keeping athletes as healthy as possible and keeping them on the playing field while minimizing wear and tear and stress um, yeah. okay so what you know, following up with what Kip just talked about there in his intro, his intro with some of his injuries, you know, as as coaches and parents, we need to strive to, you know, teach athletes sometimes from our successes, but a lot of times from our failures and things that we learned along the way. Because our goal as coaches, trainers, should be to get our players from point A to point B in the most efficient method possible, and. I think a lot of times when we talk to players, we talk to parents, they, they expect that, hey, I'm, I'm putting in work and you know why isn't this working in that straight progressive line towards the end goal? And you know sometimes the things that we've picked up are from some of the own, our own mistakes we made along the way. So that kind of segues into what we're going to talk about today. There are a few things that can both enhance or kill performance and velocity in our in our young baseball softball players. Um, so just a quick rundown of topics we're going to discuss, and then we'll kind of jump right into questions where we're going to ask Kip just what he thinks on certain in certain regards on some of these topics. So first thing we're going to kind of talk about is assessing an athlete, um, trying to figure out where they stand now, what their goals are, things like that. And we'll let Kip run into that. Then we're going to talk about different workout programs, um, what's beneficial during what time of year, how to make sure these kids are following a program that's going to help them reduce injury and enhance performance. 
and then we'll segue into some different reco recovery modalities because obviously when we are training hard we need to find ways to recover so we'll jump into a few different things that players can focus on to help them with that and then we'll follow with just a basic t uh, conversation where I'll jump in and talk about just different ways we can look at the mechanical side of baseball whether it be throwing or hitting and how those things can be looked at as well. I think a lot of players assume right away that mechanical issues, mechanical flaws are the reason their their performance is not being enhanced. They're not seeing that straight line to their end result. But usually what we've seen over the past, I mean, like I've been doing this for 13 years now, most of the time those are the farthest things from the truth. It's, you know, we teach kids mechanical stuff along the way, uh, but some of these other things are the key to enhancing or hindering performance. So with that, we'll kind of jump in, uh, right into some questions for Kip. Uh, the first thing we're going to ask him, and so Kip, when you look at an athlete, what do you think is the first thing we should actually peek at when it comes to trying to enhance performance and velocity? So one of the first things we'll do when I have an athlete come in is um, we'll sit down and first and foremost is we're going to have a discussion as far as like what, are we, what do they want to achieve over the course of the offseason, right? Simply put, what are their goals that they want to accomplish going into the next season, whether it's going to be the spring season or the summer season, right? So gathering information such as what are their goals, what does their training experience look like, what, what have they had success with, what haven't they had success with, have they worked with a coach in the past? Um, and as well as, like, what does their injury history look like? It's a good place to start um, as far as just being able to gather some base information, which is going to always allow me to write a more effective training program for them to achieve their goals. Um, one of the next things we'll get into after that is um, we'll be in our office. All right, and I'll actually I'll have all my guys coming in. And I'll actually, what I want to do is take a look at their 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 posture as well as their their positioning right so take specifically being that we work with a primarily a baseball population I'll have guys come in and actually take their shirts off and I'll assess them from the front side of the body the back side of the body as well as the side of the body taking a, a look at things like resting shoulder positioning and resting scapular positioning and then we'll go through a few different movement screens to give me a better idea of say how their, their shoulder blade is moving on the rib cage and interacting with their shoulder, right? That's going to tell me a lot of things in terms of rhythm and coordination and sequencing, um, as well as how much range of motion do they have, right? So take, for example, we talk about velocity all the time. Um, with baseball players, primarily you're going to see two different scapular presentations, whether the, the scapula is going to be in a more depressed or downward, downwardly rotated position, right? So as I'm see, sitting here, you could... You obviously can't see me, but Ace can see me right now. As a right-handed thrower, right, my right shoulder is in naturally a lower position, all right? So that's, again, a natural adaptation due to throwing. That's one of two presentations you'll see. Another thing you'll commonly see is where the scaps, right, the shoulder blades are kind of in this, we call this adductive position, meaning they're stuck together, right? So, again, those two positions are going to limit the ability of the shoulder blade to glide properly on the rib cage, right? They need to rotate efficiently up on the rib cage to achieve a full overhead range of motion position. Um, so two, two of the common pre presentations we'll see um, in baseball players, and those are limitations that we're going to want to address immediately through things like soft tissue mobilization. Um, fortunately, we're under the roof of a great manual therapist with Dr. Miller, um, as well as other things we'll do is such as um, reset drills, which is basically working on repositioning of the joints, specifically specifically the rib cage, the pelvis, as well as the hips. And we'll see a lot of improvements in hip as well as, as a shoulder range of motion with that. Specific mobility limitations that we'll address. Um, and then we're going to get into our strength and conditioning. So all those things are going to play a huge role as far as how velocity is going to um, and be enhanced throughout the course of the offseason. So when you're when you're taking kids through these assessments, the first thing you talked about was was goals. It, are there usually a common set of goals that a lot of these players have? Every player that we see, as you know, comes in and wants to improve velocity. They want to improve their arm strength. They, they want to see improvements in whether it's exit velocity or right bat speed, launch angle, things that you would be able to speak more extensively about than I can. Yeah, and that, that's why I ask, because I know when we when 
we do this from the baseball side of it, I mean, that that's it, right? And I think where kids miss the, the boat is they, you know, we, we put kids through throwing programs. We, we put kids through, you know, hitting programs. We do lessons, things like that. But I think sometimes kids think that that's enough, right? And they, they miss the the other side of it. And we've talked for years on how it, it really is a marriage, right? There need, needs to be a marriage between baseball, softball, skill-specific coaches, trainers, therapists. I know we've had a lot of good talks in the past talking to Dr. Miller about the way the body works, talking to Dr. Fu, who hopefully we can get on one of these talks uh, about, you know, the way the body works. And, you know, I think a lot of parents, you know, like I said, they, they expect X and Y, but they don't want to do, or they don't want to look into the other side of things, which is the way the body has to perform just in your everyday life, not just moving to swing and throw a baseball hard and and fast. Um, so once we finish this assessment period, you, you talked about kind of jumping into starting the workout process with these athletes. This is going to be a very loaded question because I know this goes down a hundred different paths here, but we'll try to take it one at a time. When it comes to creating workouts for athletes, whether you're doing it or they're doing it for themselves, how should athletes, how should trainers prioritize different lifts, different reps, different set marks? Right. Okay. So, yeah, this is a very loaded question. Like I said, we could go down a hundred different routes with this, with this question. But um, basically, when I'm working with somebody, I always want to start somebody off with a, a foundational training program, meaning we're always going to address <clears throat> the fundamentals of athletic movement. So, like, what are we talking about when we're, when we're speaking about the fundamentals of athletic movement, right? So, every athlete has to have the ability to squat properly, right? You have to have the ability to hinge and load your hips properly. You have to have the ability to lunge properly, right, in multiple directions. Get into a single leg stance. Uh, you have to be able to push. You have to be able to pull, right? And then you have to be able to, like, right, carry um, and address things like <clears throat> proper core stability <coughs> development. So... Basically, what I like to do is find out what is the right starting point. So, looking more deeply into assessments, right? Once we kind of come out of the um, out of out of the out of the office and we go out actually on the training floor, I want to be able to take a look at like what are their gross movement patterns look like. Okay, so like how how are they squatting? How are they hinging? How are they lunging? How are they doing a push up? Um, all of these things. Then again, all this information is going to be is giving me insight as far as how they move, right? And movement quality is first and foremost the most important thing that we are going to address so if they have say <clears throat> in a push-up pattern for example and going back to what we were discussing earlier with scapular motion well if their shoulder blades are in a position where they're stuck right and they need to be able to reach and allow those shoulder blades to spread apart but they have that but they're unable to when they're performing a push-up then I need to ensure that I'm setting them up on the right progression for a push-up and not putting them on the floor or loading them with a plate on their back or chains around their weight, we need to start with a more simple progression such as an incline push-up where I can teach them proper technique and then show them success early on and then progress them appropriately, right? Once they've developed that skill set, then we can make the proper advancements in training. So what it always comes down to for me, right, my basic underlying philosophy and approach is always taking that long-term developmental approach with our athletes and essentially slow cooking that process. So. You're showing them success early on, and then you're gradually building their athleticism over time, as well as their strength and power and speed and explosiveness, um, as well as other performance metrics. So, just to jump in real quick, from the baseball performance side of it, there are, are key movements that I see that a lot of players really struggle with, and... A lot of reasons I think they struggle with them is a lot of these kids are looking for the shiny bells and whistles when it comes to training, right? They want to jump right into, they see somebody doing a 500-pound deadlift, not realizing that that kid took years to get to that spot of proper movements. So how do you try to get a player or a parent to understand that some of these movements, so let me give you an example. As a hitting coach, primarily, I see a lot of players have a really hard time with the ability to hinge properly. 
how do you try to get that into a parent or player's head that like that foundational movement literally leads to all the potential success in their athletic performance? Right. Okay. So, <clears throat> perfect example with that would be somebody like a Matt Flaherty, who the both of us have been working for for the last three and a half years now. So, Matt came to us when he was a sophomore in high school, right? Um, freshman in college now. Over the course of the last three and a half years, Matt has put on 75 pounds, right? That took, again, that was not an overnight process, as the both of us know. Again, we're going on three and a half years now. So, looking back to when Matt first started training with me, over the first three months, it took us, or sorry, over the, like, the initial start of the training process, I would say it took us about three month, a three-month period to groove, say, that hip hinge pattern to the point where I was com I was comfortable as well as he was at the point where he was comfortable as well as confident and competent in the movement pattern that we could start progressively adding load to his system. Um, and now you look again three and a half years later, this kid is deadlifting 600 pounds, four reps, right? So basically you go from 130, whatever, 135, 140 on the barbell to 600, to 600 plus pounds four or five reps with solid technique to the point where it's not causing him unnecessary stress and wear and tear on his body to the point where, again, he's doing it with great technique and um, he's able to enhance his performance and stay healthy in the process. Yeah, so I, I, you know, the reason I'm at, I asked that question is, you know, I, I see it from, you know, our, just watching our, our players when they go through their warm-ups, when they go through things like this, people tend to skip the little details. And I think what a lot of parents, players need to understand is it, it is, it's a process. And you, you want results because there are people out there, there are organizations out there, uh, coaches out there who promise the world. Right, and then a year later, you see the same kids come back because all those promises were broken. But it, it, it's not a sexy thing, right? There's nothing, there's nothing sexy about the process, and that's where it gets to be hard from a coach's standpoint. Because, like, using a guy like Matt, we just mentioned as an example, the kid hits the ball 110 miles an hour off, off, you know, front toss, probably harder off live pitching, using. You know, my, my buddy Mark's got a TrackMan system at his facility. So he's using one of the, the nicer bells and whistles there is, and he's hitting these metrics, but that's what people see. They don't see the work and the process that went into helping him develop that skill set. Uh, he's, you know, taking a lot of time off his running speed. He's throwing significantly harder. But that was, I mean, literally a three-and-a-half-year process with him, and... On top of that, a lot of freaking hard work on his behalf. I mean, a lot of times we give players the tools. I mean, I, we give our players here writing, or we write them throwing, hitting programs. I know Kip gives players programs. We can give you all the resources in the world. If you're not executing it, then it doesn't matter. So <clears throat> kind of jumping back into the, the lifting, the strength and conditioning question, how does, as we approach in-season now, how does the time of year impact how a player's moving? So let's say we get past that gross movement standpoint. How should players be approaching the time of the year, and, and specifically right now, the, the last probably six weeks of off-season jumping into in-season? Right, so taking a look at the foundational programming first and foremost, right, looking at more from a detailed perspective. Um, again, there's not a specific timetable as far as like when you're going to transition out from the foundational programming and then you're going to convert that movement quality that we've developed into, right, strength development, right? And that's not to say that we're not getting stronger during this time period. It's just the focus is on movement quality and getting in quality reps. So volume is going to be more of the emphasis than actual intensity, all right? So say, for example, with an athlete, maybe it takes them six to eight weeks. Once we transition out of that six to eight week period, then the focus is going to be on more intensive training, whereas I'm going to want to load them up more effectively um, with a barbell, such as in a, in a hex bar deadlift, or maybe it's a, it's, it's in a goblet squat, um, a, a reverse lunge, a loaded push-up, right? And there's so many examples that we could, we could talk about here. 
Um, but once they've devel developed an appreciable level of strength, right, and there are specific strength standards that I like to look to um, before they're going to be, again, progressed appropriately that I want to develop um, during that time period. But we're still developing strength, right, even if it's just within their own body weight. They first and foremost need to learn how to stabilize and control their own body and get into the right positions and learn how to transfer force effectively from, right, again, point A to point B. Do you, do you uh, we, Kip and I talked a couple days ago about this. I looked at one of our players' programs that basically him and his buddy created. Um, obviously, first and foremost, guys, like, get coaches. Like, you hear this all over the, the Internet right now, but no matter what it is, like, get a coach, right? They, they help you skip steps, and we said it earlier. It's not just because they've had success in it. They've also had failures along the way, and they want to help you have that success with minimizing the amount of failures they made. But have you? where do you think it stems from some of these programs these kids create? I know we're in a big social media world now, but we have... I showed Kip a, a program where some kid was doing 12, 13 leg work leg movements in that day with five sets of eight reps and it seemed like you know the kid was doing everything else right and then when he showed us this program it, it kind of made sense why he's plateaued with his numbers what, what do you think a couple things that can be that can attribute to some of these kids making their own workouts and uh, kind of silently killing themselves a little bit Right. Um, yeah, big role. Social media definitely plays a big role in that as far as where some of these kids are getting their information and as far as like getting where, where we get our information, right? We, what we like to do is obviously we like to seek out the best of the best and find you know, sources that are, are trustworthy and credible and then we seek them out for information and then we've kind of been able to build our own philosophy and our own, our own approach to training and programming when it comes to finding who the best of the best is in the industry. Um, and again, kind of build our own programming from there. So um, that's kind of like, I guess that's kind of my, my litmus test is when I see a program such as the kid doing, I don't know, 30 sets of, of legs on one day and then not being able to bounce back and recover the following day, right, to the point where he just, he doesn't want to do anything. Uh, the comprehensive approach plays a huge role in that as just far as being able to better structure a program and, and dictate kind of like what your exercise selection is going to be. And again, right, the goal is always to keep the goal the goal. So you always have to have a rationale for whatever it is that you're going to, you're incorporating into your program. And that's how, how is that going to help the athlete enhance the performance and keep them healthy, right? That's what it always has to come back to. For me, I have to be able to, to rationalize as well as justify why I'm programming something, how it's going to help them achieve their goal, depending upon what is the adaptation that we're chasing at that moment with that athlete standing in front of us as far as like where they are in their current development and where we are currently in the off-season or whether we're going into in-season. To, to kind of finish up with just the conversation on strength and, you know, the strength building, the program design, like I said, I, I know we can go down a ton of different roads still, and like I said, we can follow up with maybe a more specific uh, conversation on, on certain things. You mentioned a couple of the key areas that we see players struggle with earlier. Um, you know, in the throwing and the hitting world, we talk about like scat pinching, scapular rotation, scapular retraction. For the people who might not know, can you give them as like a kindergarten version of what the scapular region is and where where it can be found because it's amazing when I talk to kids about that they hear the word scap and then you go okay so where's your scap and they have no idea so I know this is kind of a, a tough thing without video but you can you try to talk them through <clears throat> what that scap movement really is right so like when we're looking at the scap, right, or the shoulder blades, right, we're basically looking at a, a, a group of muscles that are resting on the on the on the back side of the body, right. Take the the, the rib cage for example. So, again, um, looking at the scap, right, we like to look at upward rotation, right, which is just meaning we're looking at the the ability of the scapula to rotate upward on the rib cage, right. So think about when you reach your arm over your head, right your shoulder blade is rotating up on your rib cage. But again, um, 
what we see are restrictions in scapular motion, okay? So say you need about anywhere from 60 to 65 degrees of scapular upward rotation. Maybe a guy comes to me and I assess them and they only have about, say, 40 to 45 degrees of scapular upward rotation. So again, there are numerous things we could do as far as referring them out to a manual therapist, which we do all the time, and they see immediate improvements in their ability to rotate their scapula. Um, there are other things that I will give them as far as uh, self-myofascial release drills, such as foam rolling for soft tissue work, right? Take the lats, for example, if the, if the lats are, are tight and restricted, well, that's gonna restrict your ability to rotate your shoulder blades. Um, we'll work on repositioning drills, such as getting the rib cage into a better starting position where the shoulder blade is resting on the scap. Um, as well as specific targeted mobility drills, um, such as our, our wall slide variations. So, uh, yeah, the reason I ask that question is you hear, it's funny, when you hear these you know, parents trying to help their kids, you'll hear the, the old adage, oh, elbow up, do this, high, high elbow. I, from my experience, what I can tell is I think a lot of people talk about that elbow. I talk about trying to kind of feel that shoulder blade kind of working towards the spine a little bit when we're talking about a scapular load when we're, we're hitting, right? So one, one cue I give a kid is if you were like, put your hand behind your head and try to reach back with your elbow, like that is a feeling of, of loading up that, that scapular region and where I think a lot of parents see is, oh, that elbow's high, right? And then they go, oh yeah, lift your elbow up. The, the elbow can help a hitter feel some of that that tension in the scapular region, but just by lifting it high, it doesn't do anything. It's that next move, right? It's that feeling of trying to feel like a, a, a punch almost where we load it up a certain way. And I think that's why I kind of wanted you to explain, you know, what that region is. I mean, it's, it's like you said, it's the muscles in that shoulder blade region there. And I think a lot of people, they just, they think elbow, they think hands, and they're not realizing that we're, we're trying to, engage a lot more of our muscles than just, you know, lifting an elbow or fingers or wrist, you know, things that are bones that really don't have the ability to move without muscle, you know. Yeah. So I, I think it's, it's, that's why that question came up because, like I said, we have a lot of kids who misunderstand what they're doing based on what they've been taught growing up. Right, right. So again, kind of looking at that inability to rotate the scap efficiently and achieve full overhead motion, right? Another limitation you're going to see with that is you're going to see an inability to create efficient layback, right? So every joint up and down the kinetic chain is going to affect what the joint above and below does. So if I have that inability to rotate the scap upwardly, again, that's going to limit my ability to create that layback, that efficient layback that we need to achieve velocity, right? So you're going to see minimal or even a decrease in velocity or arm strength. So these are all factors that we need to address um, from a comprehensive training approach as well as from a comprehensive throwing program as well as what you do from a comprehensive uh, hitting perspective. Yeah, and so, you know, that kind of segues, you know, we're going a little out of order here, but that kind of segues when we're talking about like the external rotation, things like that. You know, there are tools out there now where we can get video and measurement. So for all our players, we use the track system with driveline and with track, all our players have um, access to pitch AI, which basically we take a slow motion video on our iPhone and load it up. And this software program pretty much sends a video where they, they generate these basically like a stick figure around central parts of your body and um, it, it kind of replaces mocaps which are just you know sensors they put on your body to, to test biomechanics and they've created the software that helps us and I, you know, we were looking at a player yesterday um, who they then send you still frames of where your pelvis is at that foot strike where your elbow is getting to max external rotation and that's External rotation is one of the things we see where players struggle with it. Part of that is a is an arm patterning movement, right? They just were never taught how to throw the right way. They were taught patterns that reinforce pushing the ball. But then, like I said, a huge part of that, like, like Kip was saying, is having limitations in the ability to make that shoulder blade move and upward rotate and 
all the things that he just talked about. So, you know, when we are looking at stuff, when players come up and go, Man, why am I not throwing harder? I've been sitting there. If we cross off all these things that we've, that we've talked about and then some of these things we're going to talk about next, th maybe it is time to really hone in on some of the biomechanics sides of it. And in this particular case, we have a great tool at our disposal that we can hook up a kid basically just by taking a video of him and start seeing, like, the kinematic sequence of his body during delivery, uh, max external rotation, where he... The, internal rotation of the shoulder at foot plant. There's all these crazy things that we can look at now, but at the end of the day, a lot of times those limitations that you'll see there are a mix of both mechanics and physical limitations, physical movements. But usually, what we've seen at the young age, it, it usually tends to be more on the physical side, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> I mean, yes. really, like, you know, it's, it's funny. It's... I knew exactly what the answer was going to be. I wasn't looking for an explanation because yes. it, there are so many things. Even a kid who seems like he's, I mean, built, you know, rock hard abs, all that stuff, you, you go watch them move their arm, move their shoulder, and they really don't have an ability to do it well. No, right? And, you know, you can have all the, the strength and power and, 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 you know, in the world, but if you have biomechanical inefficiencies and you're not addressing those biomechanical inefficiencies, then again, you're leaving a lot of performance on the table with that. That's right. Like we've seen guys throughout the years who, you know, besides velocity performance in a nutshell as well, I mean, I've seen big, strong kids who can hit the ball really hard off a tee, and then you make a ball move and you realize, okay, you know, they have limitations that prevent them from being able to hold their back hip, right? That some of that hinge pattern, they lose the hinge pattern right away. They, um, you know, can't hold heel connection. There, there's things that happen along the way that you start questioning as a coach. Is it because of the way they were taught mechanically, or is it a physical limitation? I know we have certain athletes that we've referred out that we know they have some limitations in their hips that are preventing them from rotating properly, or force their body to compensate because that's what you know our our body's a crazy thing and you know when we when we do try to get a conversation with dr miller he, lo he loves talking about you know how special the body is and where compensation comes into play but you see it all the time in, in terms of hitting that hitters your brain tells you what to do you know you're trying to hit that white ball or if you're a softball player that yellow ball coming at you so your brain tells your body to do that and if there's limitations along the way, your body is crazy and it finds ways to compensate to try to get the job done. And while we might hit the ball, we might have some success, ultimately we're leaving, you know, performance numbers and measurements, you know, we're, we're leaving them behind because they could be extremely more efficient. And, you know, who knows, the numbers might skyrocket or it might just be easier for you to obtain those numbers. So... After we go through, whether it be an intense throwing session, an intense lifting session, the one thing I think a lot of kids, two things I think kids skip out, and one is a proper warm-up. So maybe before we get into the recovery stuff, maybe Kip, you can kind of talk about like the importance of actually warming up. Right. So again, um, a warm-up comes down to basically what we saw in our assessment and what are the biomechanical limitations that we need to address okay so like a warm-up is is so much more than just getting some blood flow right which is important but again it comes back to what are their biomechanical limitations how can we get them in a more efficient starting position so they can perform the task right in kind of like what you were saying as far as um, like athletes are extremely good at compensating, right? You will do whatever is necessary to perform the task and get from point A to point B, even if, even if it means taking the, the, the least efficient path to get from point A to point B. So um, going back to the example of working on the ability to create proper kinematic sequencing and, and rhythm and timing and coordination between how the shoulder blade and how the shoulder blade is interacting with one another. So before they even pick up a ball, right, like we said, we're going to work on soft tissue work. We're going to work on on restoring proper positioning. We're going to work on mobility limitations. So um, 
basically all those three factors are are going to play a role in how we warm up properly um, as far as getting their body into a better starting position before they pick up a baseball or before they pick up a bat, right? Just like we're going to go through an even more specific dynamic warm-up process before these guys sprint, right? It's going to be very general at first where we're, say, taking them through skipping drills, but again, that's just not about them getting some blood flow. That's about grooving the technique, getting them into the right positions, learning how to transfer force efficiently um, from point A to point B before they actually perform the specific task of sprinting. And, you know, I think one thing, just from the coach's perspective, is you see a lot of kids go through the motions. You, you know, it's it, it doesn't do anything just going through the motions, you know. And, and then you'll see the kids who will just say, okay, you know, I'm going to play catch to warm up. And, you know, I, I remember going to a seminar run by Tom House, who, you know, for guys who don't know, Tom House was a pitching coach for a very long time, worked with Nolan Ryan, Randy, Randy Johnson, some all-time greats. Now he is pretty much a quarterback coach, works with Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Jack Prescott, all these, you know, all-star, you know, Tom Brady and Drew Brees, I mean, your Hall of Fame, some of the best quarterbacks to ever do it. But the big thing you used to talk about is you warm up to play catch, you warm up to throw, not throw to warm up. And I think a lot of it is, it stems from kids being afraid to look different. And that's, you know, it, it, that's a whole different psychological talk. But when we, when we go over the, some of this stuff, like, do your warm-ups. Like, just because someone else isn't doing it doesn't mean to not do yours, right? Like, at the end of the day, it's a team sport, but it's about you maximizing your potential. And, you know, I, I know people are like, oh, this is going to take 10 minutes. It's going to take 15 minutes. If you just stop complaining and did it, it, you, right. it it's going to enhance your performance. Like, there's no doubt about it, like, between some of the warm-up stuff Kip has done, we've done some stuff with RPR, which is reflexive performance recess. Like, little things like that, when you add them up, shouldn't take any more than 10 to 15 minutes if you would just stop complaining about it and do it. And it, it's... The, the ability for a kid to enhance his performance with that alone is... You know, warming up, it's, it's one of the most underrated things in the world, and you get a lot of the young, young players, I know are 9, 10, 11... I get it. They're young. They're flexible, but I'm sure the warm-ups help them. But at at bare minimum, getting the habit of doing it, you know, because yeah. it's just education. Yeah, I think that's definitely the most important thing, especially with young kids, is they, they may not necessarily need these things right now, 10, 11, 12 years old, but it is teaching them those positive habits that they're going to take with them throughout their high school career as well as their college career as well as for as long as they continue to play, right? And while we've been coaching together for the last five years over the course of the summer and the fall, one of the things that drives me off a wall when we, we go out to the field and it's like we see the other team doing the same warm-ups that we were doing 10, 15 years ago when we were in high school and, and we were in college where they'll just essentially get into a circle and what do, do 10 second stretches where they're bending over and touching their toes, which is essentially not doing anything as far as improving movement quality or, or preparing them for the for the demands the physical demands of of the sport of baseball so um, that's another part where we've been able to separate ourselves from from the competition as well as from the masses as far as you know we get to the field 15 minutes 20 minutes early before everybody else and we have guys rolling out as well as going through their specific warm-ups before we get into our actual team warm-ups I mean yeah we'll, we'll jump into to now I mean some of the recovery modalities, but yeah, I mean, it, it's right. it's putting our kids in position to have the most success. I mean, sometimes there are players who are just way more talented that, you know, maybe they don't have to do it right away, but, it, you know, it's about that long-term career, long-term development, which it's hard for young athletes to see that. I mean, you, you see it when your career's over. Like, my career ended because of a back injury, because I popped a hernia. Like, if I would have done things right, you know, who knows, right? I'm not saying I would have made it to the major leagues, but, you know, my career got shortened. Like Kip said, his career got shortened by injuries. And it goes to Kip's big saying he has the best, abil best abilities availability. And it's, it, there's no question, you can't make our team better if you're sitting on the bench because you're hurt. Right. And, and skipping warm-ups is one of the easiest ways to get hurt. I mean, it's... Right. 
not only that, but it's like, right, we look at <clears throat> in-game as well, right? When, when our pitchers come off the mound and they come back into the dugout, well, we've given them the, the proper tools as well as the guidance as far as maybe there are things they need to do, right, as far as restoring positioning. Because, again, you're out on the mound and you can throw anywhere from 10 to 15-plus pitches in an inning. Well, again, you got to remember that, again, repetitive motion is going to lead to a loss of range of motion. So um, you, you could take one athlete, for example, again, who has a, that limitation in, in overhead motion. Well, maybe they lose that ability over the course of the game, right? So it's like these are, are things that we can get even more specific with as far as like what are things that you need to do when you come in um, during a 5, 10, 10 minute break while your team is hitting to, to restore position and again, enhance performance, stay healthy. As well as once you come out of the game, what do you need to do immediately to expedite that recovery process? Well, guys know exactly what they need to do as far as getting their soft tissue work in, getting their mobility work in, um, as well as you know the Mark Pro is one of our go-to recovery modalities to start expediting the recovery process immediately so they have that bounce back ability to, to come back stronger the next day. So yeah, that segues us right into... <clears throat> the different recovery modalities out there. So when you get done with the game, when you get done with an intense training session, or you know, we're doing max throws, pull downs, whatever it might be, max X and below, you, your body does take a toll. You know, that takes a toll on your body, I should say, when you're doing stuff at a high intensity. And let's be real, most of the time in games our intensity is much higher than it is at practice. And that like I said, that leads us down a different path, should that be the case or not. But your body takes a beating. So <clears throat> there are different things that a player can do to recover. And, you know, ultimately recovery is, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, one of, one of the biggest performance enhancers there is because if we can't recover, then we can't go perform. Was, am I wrong with that? No, 100% right with that. So that's why we, we like to emphasize expediting the recovery process. So Right. Majority of guys that come to see me will, will spend anywhere from 75 minutes to an hour and a half with me. And it's not like we're training that entire time, right? So they'll go through their, their proper warm-up sequencing, um, as well as we'll get into our, our plyometric jumping, med ball, speed work, whether it's we're working on linear speed development or if it's lateral multi-directional speed and agility as well as change of direction, get into our strength work. And then again, it's like constantly emphasizing like, all right, the recovery process starts now. It doesn't start, you know, when you go home at night, it doesn't start the following day. It starts immediately. So it's like, maybe you need to do soft tissue work. Maybe you need to go get manual therapy done. Maybe you throw the Mark Pro on for 20 to 30 minutes. You could norm attack. There's, there's numerous routes we could, we can go with this, um, as well as discussing the importance of, proper nutrition, hydration, as well as, as sleep, which sleep is without question the number one thing you could do as far as um, taking your performance to the next level, right? Because again, if, if, if you're not recovering, right, your body is not going to be able to heal properly from the stress and wear and tear and inflammation that it's, it's experiencing. So, <clears throat> quick question, and then we'll kind of dive a little deeper into each one of those topics we just talked about. <clears throat> and I know where I know you're going to get a, kind of a chuckle out of this, but what are some things we should not do after a game for recovery purposes? Put a jacket on for one. <laughs> um, some things we should not do is uh, you you don't want to just sit there and be stagnant. Again, you want to be able to, to to expedite recovery. You've got to be able to expedite blood flow and increase oxygen as well as nutrient uptake right to your body so it can heal. So simply put. One of the worst things you could do is just is just sit there. So all of our guys have their 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 specific recovery protocols that they're going to go through immediately after the game. So it's like whether a pitcher comes out after inning five, then then he's going to go behind the dugout or, or in the dugout, whatever it may be, and he's going to start his recovery process. That may only take ten to fifteen minutes, right? And then you can sit and chill, and then we'll all go eat, you know, at the restaurant after the game together. And then that's where the importance of right quality nutrition comes into play. So, <clears throat> you, you tell me they should not go run poles to increase blood flow? Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> so <laughs> Let's, let's we, not place stress on top of stress. And, you know, and like I said, that, that's something that, I, you know, I never bought into the whole pole philosophy. Obviously, as a player, I did it because I was told to by a coach. And then, right. 
you know, you don't know Unfortunately, an old school of thought still. It's an old school thought. And like I said, you, you trust your coaches because you think that they've been there and they've done that and this has to be helping me. But even, you know, getting, I, I remember making the mistake of doing too much, trying to get players to do too much range of motion recovery. It was like, okay, we're going to do 15, 20 minutes after a game. And I remember you had that talk with me, you know, like let them go hydrate. Like we could do some stuff when they come out of the game, let them hydrate, let them eat something. You know, but the key was not adding, you know, stress on top of fatigue. And I think that's something that we see a lot of coaches make the mistake with because of what they were taught, right? It'll go run poles, it'll flush your system. And, you know, there are so many studies now on on that. And most of the leading experts in this industry all are extremely opposed to, to the, the running of poles, especially immediately following pitching because of that whole concept of stress on top of fatigue right yeah exactly and that's what it kind of comes down to right it's like this is what they were taught by their coaches and that's what they were taught by their coaches i don't know how long this goes back for but again it's just the the so-called pole running or, or flush runs is nothing more than than a myth um you know, you're gonna have guys that are a little bit stiffer that are gonna need to improve range of motion. You're gonna guy, you're gonna have guys that are a little bit more mobile or are hyper mobile, um, and then you're gonna have your guys that are kind of middle of the road, right? So again, it comes back to what does this athlete need um, at this time period. So again, the the approach with them is going to be different as well as very specific as far as how they're gonna enhance their recovery and the protocols that we utilize with them. So, I know this, you know, so this is a more of a question, like a, a mock type of thing as opposed to, because everyone's body is different. When we talk about nutrition, game day nutrition, post, post, uh, you know, performance, whether it's after a doubleheader, obviously, and there's a lot smarter people that we're going to try to get to talk to about this, but if you could just give like a general guideline or general thought of what, what should a kid be doing whether it be between a doubleheader, after we play a doubleheader, to, to help enhance his performance versus hinder his performance? Um, pretty much exactly what's already being said, but I guess, you know, piggybacking on that, right? Because we don't have the, the luxury of always sitting down a pitcher after he threw five innings, right? Because we might be, we might have a limited roster, so he might have to go out and play the field, whether it's, you know, as a shortstop or as a center fielder. So... Um, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna constantly, you know, something I might have to enforce is, is you know, ensure that you're doing your drills that we gave you to work on restoring range of motion, right? So your body is better prepared for when you do go back out on the field, um, whether it's in between innings or in between games. Is there something you think players should have in their bags from a nutritional standpoint that might help them? So I, you know, this. This question kind of stems from talking to Brennan Rebeck, who plays at Virginia Tech, who's one of our um, one of players who's played with us for a long time, talking about how their nutritionists there, their dietitians have them, I mean, they have their pregame meal, they have, like, shakes that are made for, obviously, here's the, the, the beautiful ACC, you know, luxury of playing, get, you know, working your ass off and getting to that position where they have, like, shakes prepared for you in like the fifth inning of a game right but, but for a normal person who right. doesn't have, have the luxury luxury right. yeah what should they be doing in a game both from let's let's talk about nutrition and even just the hydration part of it in game before game whatever whatever you feel like is the best to, to talk about first right well i mean preparation is going to come down to that right you if you know unfortunately if you don't have that luxury of playing at that level right now and you're a high school player then you know, you need to take the onus and take the responsibility yourself um, based off the guidance that we've given you as far as coming prepared. So if that means, you know, getting your own protein shakes prepared, if it's, you know, something as simple as peanut butter and jelly, or if it's, it's it could be snacking on fruit, or it could be snacking on nuts, as well as bringing plenty of water, even with sea salt, right, to replace um, sodium levels that have dropped, then those are uh, simple things that you could do as far as uh, being prepared in-game as well as in-between games to um, getting good nutrients as well as calories and hydration. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the reason for that question, obviously, besides, you know, just talking about, like, you know, how some of the, you know, bigger programs in the country do their thing, uh, 
Well, one of the big tendencies we see during season, especially a long season, and when kids get older in particular, when we get into like late in high school and college, is the weight management and how a lot of players tend to lose weight, whether it be from losing tons of water and sodium levels, whether it be from just not having the ability to, you're on the road more, you're traveling more, you can't get that right. good diet that you, you know, maybe mom was making you steak and potatoes, steak and white rice every night, right. now you're on the road. So, like, how important is, is weight management when it comes to, like I said, we're, we'll go more detail into the stuff later, but how important is that when it comes to performance enhancement with or, or killing performance. Right, extremely important, right? And um, something we see all the time, right? Um, we've had this conversation with numerous, numerous athletes of ours, like they're, you know, why is my, my velocity dropping mid-season? Well, it's like, what does your body weight look like, right? Maybe you were 200 pounds going into the season and you've, you've dropped 10 plus pounds at this point. Well, I think that's a pretty simple place to start, right? And the next question you're gonna ask following that is, like, right, what does your nutrition look like? Is it the same as what you were doing over the course of the off-season? Or, or have you, you know, again, taken the onus and responsibility yourself to get in the additional calories that you need to at least, at the very minimum, maintain body weight, right, as well as lean muscle mass that you developed over the course of the off-season so you are producing the necessary amount of force um, and you're not seeing those drop-offs in velocity. So, so much of that is going to come down to preparation in terms of what does quality nutrition look like. And again, are you coming prepared uh, over the course of the offseason, especially when you're on the road for maybe it's a week or two at a time? And, I, you know, guys, you know, there's, there's a lot that goes into that. I mean, Kip could go deeper into it. It's probably easier just to kind of communicate with him per, on an individual level in terms of like caloric intake based on your body, all that stuff we want to do. There's... There are ways to go about that, and it re you really should, you know, talk to somebody about that. Like, where are we? Where do we want to be? What's our caloric intake? The macros we need. We, like I said in the beginning, we for our high school athletes use track, and you know, this kind of goes back to kids being attentive to detail because during track, at least during the throwing portion, I have a, a survey that's on there that I. I believe was kind of just generated from drive lines who are the founders of track and it asked kids like how many hours did you sleep what was your caloric intake thus far how much protein and you know, a lot of kids go like I don't know that stuff the, the main reason for doing it is to try to get you guys building a habit of mm -hmm. learning how to do that stuff like I said it's you don't have to obsess over it but you know just having a general knowledge of man like I need to have X amount of protein for my body I can I, I can take X amount of fat like all that stuff helps you recover, and it's going to help performance. So when we ask a kid, uh, you know, we ask one of my, my assistant coach who played for me, Sam, you know, he's had some gigantic velocity jumps this year, but he had a period where he was kind of plateauing. It's like, well, what did you eat for breakfast? He goes, well, I, I didn't eat breakfast this morning. Well, how many hours did you sleep? Uh, like five and a half. I didn't really get a lot of sleep. So, so why do you think you're plateauing? Like, why don't you think you're at a high performance? Or having a kid, what did you eat for breakfast? I had a Pop-Tart. Do you really think having a Pop-Tart at 6 a.m. at a 9.30 practice is going to fuel you enough to be at your most, like, enhanced performance level? What are right. your thoughts on that stuff? Um, I, I think so much of that comes down to, right, ingraining positive habits, but you, you, we've both heard all the excuses, right? And it's like, you know, that's bullshit. Stop lying to yourself. Uh, so, you know, a lot of it, again, that's, that's going to come down to preparation as well as... as time management like don't tell me you have time right um, throughout the course of the day you know food prep plays a big role into that as well so it's like every Sunday if you know that you need to or sorry before you go into the week right and you know you need to get in say eat one or two peanut butter and jelly sandwiches as well as you know chug down a protein shake in between breakfast and lunch and then lunch and dinner right then take carve out 10 to 15 minutes on a Sunday and make 10 to 15, whatever, 10 peanut butter and jelly sandwiches so now that you're better prepared for the week and you can't tell me or you can't make the excuse that you don't have time over the week to do that. Well, it comes down to prioritizing mainly what's important to you and then implementing that. Uh, I mean, yeah, guys, there's, that's the problem is the excuses hit, right? And, you know, we get it, right? Especially for high school athletes, you know, in a typical year, yeah, you guys have eight hours of school, blah, blah, blah. 
I mean, this year in particular, a lot of guys were at home. Like, what's the excuse to to not? I get it. You're sitting at your desk. There's a whole different level that we've never had to deal with before. Where you're sitting on a computer screen, all that stuff. But like you said, when it comes to making a peanut butter sandwich, like, I mean, literally, guys, I make a peanut butter sandwich for my kid every day for school. It takes 20 seconds. That's with with ripping off the crust for him. I mean, right. literally, it's two pieces of bread, some peanut butter. Like, it's not that hard of a thing to do. And I I remember I used to give before Kip came back. Kip was used to work in Florida, for the people who don't know. Before he came back, I had this basic guideline from a, a former Mets dietitian. And it was just that. He was like, you know, put a couple snacks. This is when we had to use lockers back in the day, when you had books. Now you guys have your Chromebooks or laptops or iPads. You can keep a peanut butter sandwich. You can keep some nuts in your bag and and like snacking them, even if it's between passing periods. I get schools are, are you know, some of them have no eating policies in class and all that stuff. But like little things, it, it doesn't take a lot. And I think that's where, you know, when when kids make these excuses, it's when we as coaches get ticked off because I get certain things, family, you know, issues come up, stuff comes up that happens occasionally, but. To say I can't eat breakfast because I didn't have time, wake up five minutes earlier and you have time. You know, like, the difference between waking up five minutes earlier is not going to make or break your, your sleep cycles. And, you know, that's something we can talk about, too, is sleep cycles. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's just, like I said, the excuses are are something that need to be kind of checked at the door. Because to say that you can't have hard-boiled eggs ready for you you know, I don't like hard-boiled eggs, then make scrambled eggs. Like, there are plenty of things guys can do to fuel their body more efficiently. And this is, this is coming from a guy who's not in the best of shape, right? But when I was a player, I, I was very attentive to trying to make sure I was constantly eating. And I, I remember just a quick story of a buddy who, you know, was a left-handed pitcher and, you know, got a pro contract, pitched Division One. And he was like 175 pounds, and he literally had to like at points force feed himself, not being hungry at all because he wanted to gain that weight. I mean, sometimes it comes down to trying to, you know, if you if it's really that important to you, like you're gonna carve out the time to do it. So, you know, don't make the excuse or the lie that hey, like I didn't have time. It was it not that important to you? That, that's fine. That's a different conversation to have, but. For all you kids who sit there and go, I want to play at that next level, I want to play in college, like, these are the things. If you guys see some of our college players come back, I mean, you know, just, you know, I won't even name drop them, but we got we got guys here, and I, you know, I will, I mean, like Declan, right? Declan comes with a, a freaking lunch pail, or two, or six, yeah. with, a, you know, a gallon of water, and he'll even take a nap on our in our break room here if he needs to, like, Brennan, like, all these guys, Matt, like these guys we've kind of talked about and name-dropped here, you know, the players that when they come in, guys all stop and watch them. They go, man, that gets pretty good. Like, there's no secret on how they got there. Like, they worked their butt off, they followed a plan, and, like, they don't really deviate from that plan very much. Right. Exactly. And then, you know, there's a reason, like, you know, why somebody like Declan is getting phone calls now going to his, his senior year of college, his, his final playing career before he graduates, he's, you know, he's gotten five phone calls to play any ball um, going into the summer, right? And it's it's, it's pretty simple, right? I've known this kid for the last three years, and it's like I said, he'll, he'll show up with, with the lunchbox every day. He's he's basically at the training facility for 10 hours a day. In between his, his training bouts, he's, he's eating meals, he's watching film. He's taking a nap. He's doing all these little things. That that thing that is going to give him that one percent competitive edge over the competition, that has essentially led him down to the path of where he's going now, and he's going to be able to continue his playing career after college. Uh, yeah, and it's like I mean, it's little things, guys. I mean, I know guys, you know, that I coached when I was coaching in college. That like, just the way they ate during the day. You know, whereas you know, back in a lot of JUCO kids and D three kids will will attest to this. You know, sometimes your teams will throw you a Snickers bar or a Hershey's bar with nuts between games going, oh, they got nuts in it. Like, that's going to help you with protein. Mm. The better players on the team, they had their own fruit. They had their own, like, protein bars or shakes that they'd have. I mean, one of them, one of the kids I worked with is a, a, a chiropractor now, and 
kid's brilliant, and he, he'll literally just play with diets, and he'll put himself through stuff to see what helps him perform better, what helps his patients perform better. And But, it, you know, it comes with starting that process and, like I said, prioritizing what's important to you. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, now that we're off on a rant and to make sure you're getting your stuff done, we kind of finish up a couple more recovery modalities. When we talk about tools... Uh, there are obviously tools we have here. I don't know if you want to talk about a couple of those and just some other basic tools that players can use to recover. Um, so I, I know a personal favorite of yours as well as mine is, is the Mark Pro. Yeah. Um, become a big fan of the Normatec compression pants. Um, again, just being able to utilize somebody like Dr. Miller with manual therapy as well as some of the other tools and interventions that he uses. So um, those those are pretty simply been put some of the, the best recovery modalities as well as tools that we've been able to be, to utilize. I mean, it's amazing, guys. Like I said, you were just talking about the manual therapy. Like, I mean, I've seen grown men, some of these 22-year-old guys or right. monsters go into Dr. Miller's office and, and cry because he's just finding spots that they haven't paid attention to for probably years. Right. And then, you know, they'll be like, man, I, he, he killed me. But then all of a sudden, a day or two later, being like, I've, you know, my arms never felt better. I'm throwing hard. It was just unlocking a couple of those things. And like you said, you, you talked to the Mark, the Mark Pro. Like, the Mark Pro is a tool that we've used for years now. We were very fortunate. The one year I, we had Gary Reinald come out. Gary's one of, like, the founder, or he's one of the, the main salesmen for Mark Pro, but he's also an author on how ice is bad for recovering from report performance standpoints, right? I mean, he's written two books on it and even got the guy who invented the rice therapy or the rice concept, you know, the rest, ice, compression, elevation, to write a forward in one of his books about how it's not necessarily the best for enhancing performance or recovering from a performance standpoint, right? Different if you strain, sprain your ankle, different story, right? But... I mean, we literally had the guy come out and you know, just explain what the Mark Pro does. And I remember him, you know, the reason I try to get kids on it and, and use it, you know, the one thing he said was it's like it's like having your, your body's an, a miraculous thing. Your body can recover for you, can help you heal. But sometimes you have to give assistance. And I know the analogy he uses is think about having, like, an ambulance that has all, like, the cutting-edge technology on it and there's a car crash, and they can save the lives of the people, but there's all these cars piled up in between them, and that ambulance needs to get to that car crash scene. And what the Mark Pro does is it breaks up that congestion, it breaks up that traffic, so that way the Mark Pro can get there, so that way your body, that the ambulance can get to that traffic site, so that way your body can start the process of excreting waste and all the stuff it does for you on a daily basis that we don't even pay attention to. So... Some of these tools, guys, I mean, it's, I know we haven't educated a lot of our younger guys on it yet, but like I said, that it's stop by and, and, and ask what some of these things are that you see some of these kids using because it they are fantastic recovery modules that are going to help you feel better and it's going to help like said, speed up your body's natural recovery system, right? Help break down congestion so that way your body can recover at its normal pace. Does that sound right? So... Well, we're, we've, we've kind of gone over the hour mark, so I said we can get deeper into some other stuff into in different conversations. And like I said, what we want to keep doing is try to take some of these things that we hear, some of the questions, concerns parents and players have, and try to uh, really build upon, you know, educating people. Because I think that's one of the, the most, one of the things right now that, you know, there is so much information out there, but sometimes it's cutting through what information is available, what is not, based on your specific goals, right? There are excellent fitness articles out there for somebody who wants to be a marathon runner, but that doesn't help a baseball player, right? There, You have to be very specific to the goals you have set. You know, We'll have a whole different conversation on goal setting. But um, before we go, Kip, it, I know you do a lot of stuff on Instagram. I think you have a website. Is there a place that people can kind of find information from you? Yeah, I mean, if you want more information from me, um, you can always email directly. I'm at csteingard at comcast.net. Steingard is S-T-E-I-N-G-A-R-T. I'm also on Instagram at uh, 
Top Performance Strength 22. Uh, the website is not up at this point. It's okay. currently in, being constructed. So those are a couple of uh, spots that you could reach me out to. Preferably email. Um, you could all you could always give me a call as well. My cell number is uh, 847-542-5213. So those are the best ways to contact me directly. Um, as well as if you see me at the facility, just stop by the office or if I'm out on the training floor and uh, introduce yourself and I'd be happy to answer any questions you may have. Yeah, guys, and like I said, just take advantage of the resources we have here. I mean, that's... Not just here. I mean, like I said, if you're if you're not if you end up hearing this and you're not one of you know the, the players at our facility, like don't be afraid to reach out. I mean, I my handle on Instagram is complete baseball performance. You can send a direct message, uh, but you, don't be afraid to ask questions, guys. I think that's the, one of the biggest things that parents and players don't understand throughout their careers is, is ask questions to people who have been there, who have made the mistakes, who have had the successes, and you know. Cut the learning process time in half, right? Don't don't go through all the trials and errors that we all had to go through. That's why a lot of us got into this this profession is to help as many people as possible uh, to avoid some, at least me, to avoid some of the mistakes that I made to help them get farther than I ever could. So hopefully this helped you out, guys. And like I said, look forward to us doing some more and trying to get some some special guests in here who are obviously way smarter than us in certain fields but um i really had a good time you know talking about some of this stuff and hopefully you know you guys really kind of pay attention and, and try to pick from some of the things here to help your performance levels take care guys